Welcome to the next episode of the Innovation in Education podcast. My name is Matt Pimental. I'm the supervisor of professional learning at Cheltenham School District. And today we have two guests, Brandon Lutz, our supervisor for education technology and data analysis, and also Tom Cook, who is the librarian at Cheltenham High School. Um, so just to introduce our primary guest, which is Tom, um, just a little backstory. So Tom was hired at the beginning of last school year to be the, the new librarian for our high school. And before, between the time we interviewed him and his first day of work, the library was condemned for mold. And so this, this man moved here from, was it North Carolina? Yeah, North Carolina. So moved up here from North Carolina just to take this job, uh, shows up on the first day of school and there's plastic wrap uh, over the doors. And, and we're basically like, well, welcome librarian. Um, you don't have so much as one book uh, to get your fingers on. So from that time, Tom has had the unique sort of challenge of trying to craft out what it means to be a librarian without a library. And that's really going to be a focus of something that I hope we can talk about um, here during this episode. And, and that sort of segues into something we were just talking about, um, which is whether or not you really ought to be called a librarian at all. Um, and you've kind of bandied around the idea of, um, what were you saying? It's, it's so to be fair, I, I moved back. Uh, I'm born and raised in Philly, so I moved back up from North Carolina after a few years down there. And I was super excited to be coming to Cheltenham because of its reputation and everything I know about Cheltenham from my years of living in Philly and teaching around the area. So when I came up to be, <coughs> it's funny, uh, in my interview, uh, as a former business teacher, I was asked, have you ever thought about being a librarian? And I said, no, but it sounds fun. Um, <laughs> because I have a problem saying no to a challenge and something that seems interesting. And uh, I found out that I wouldn't have a library uh, about two weeks before I moved up here uh, through a series of connections. And I've really had to address the idea of what does a librarian do without a library. And uh, as I've been looking at that and considering you know, what does a library do for students today, uh, I started realizing that what I'm creating is something that isn't usually done or has never been done before. And I heard a quote before that says, when you want to learn how to do something, you call an expert. When it's never been done before, you call an engineer. And as I thought about that quote, I realized that Really, I'm not a librarian, I'm an educational engineer. I'm building something that has uh, seldom, if ever, been done before, and that's have a library without books that is still the cultural and intellectual hub of, of the building and hopefully modeled out throughout the district as well. That helps to engage the students and, and faculty alike. Cool, very cool. So let's, um, let's segue into our book, Empower. Um, so our focus uh, this time around is on chapter three, and it starts out with the quote. It says, empowering students means giving kids the knowledge and skills to pursue their passions, interests, and future. Um, and, and the segue there seems to be that to a certain extent, with you coming on Cheltenham without a library, you've been empowered, um, pun intended, yeah. <laughs> to, to find a way to, to make your position relevant in the school. Um, and this quote also kind of pushes us saying like, well, how do we also make the students' experience in the classroom relevant to them personally? Um, I'm wondering just kind of like what your thoughts are as somebody in your position and thinking about students 
and their pursuit of passions, interests, their own individual futures, etc. So I think that kind of goes to what what education teaching has become more of is that not necessarily just teaching students content, but teaching students how to use that content in ways that are meaningful, especially to them. Our students come to us with so many different interests and more options for a future, probably than ever before in history, uh, because of, I mean, as we can all attest to, jobs that exist today, we could not possibly have thought of when we were in high school. Even, I mean, being a library without books is ridiculous when we're in high school. It's no, that is always going to be what it is but there's so much more available and so many more options available to our students that we have to figure out a way to engage them with the material that will be the building blocks for their ability to continue to grow and pursue. Insofar as the library without books, one of my major focuses has been to get them as many high-level resources to utilize for whatever means they want, whatever means they need, to build on uh, things like Panther Search, uh, right. which has indexed, uh, we went from databases around 10, 20, 30,000 to 10, 20, 30 million different resources of levels from, from intermediate, remedial levels to super high levels that um, even educators in their pursuit of doctorates can use within Panther Search. So if anyone's out there trying to get their doctorate, I have resources for you. Uh, and that's part of what the library is becoming. Instead right. of just engaging students, let's engage everyone so that as teachers we can model this learning yeah. and this pursuit of our passions, this pursuit of learning for them. Uh, and as we're more engaged, we can better engage uh, our growing students. Cool. Yeah, make it relevant. Yeah, right? make, make it, it very real. relevant. Make you it know? real. Um, so... That, that connects to sort of where AJ and John take us next, um, which is that they start talking about, um, that, well, they are encouraging us to think beyond, like, quote, unquote, making it interesting in a classroom context or even just in a school setting. Um, you know, I think a lot of teachers, we want to make our lessons and our subjects interesting to kids, um, especially, if we lo- especially if you're the kind of person who loves your subject. And I'm thinking really secondary when I say that. But... Um, people who are subject lovers, they want to find a way to make it interesting to students. Um, and the authors here are sort of encouraging us to go beyond that and to think about allowing students to pursue their own interests. Um, and, and I think about how difficult this is for somebody who's in the classroom. Um, even just thinking about our professional development this year in Cheltenham, the big focus being on student engagement. And we're focused on teaching strategies that increase student engagement. So that's like an in-class strategy to use, which to a certain extent, the authors here are even saying like, that's great, do that first, and then go beyond it. And that's where they start to push towards the idea of students, student ownership. Um, and, and, and I'm just sort of thinking about how you view your position um, when you think about education from your lens you know, how does that concept of, of going beyond just sort of trying to make something entertaining or make something interesting, sort of blowing past that and making it about students? So I think even back to my time in the, in the classroom, one of the things I, I always focus on was trying to get to know my students as much as possible. 
And it was always difficult in the classroom because there's so many competing things you need to think about uh, and so many competing priorities that have to come into view. And as this, as this educational engineer, this uh, head librarian, I've been able to not worry so much about things like, like educational standards, right? They're not, they don't have to be at the forefront of my mind about what is this student being tested on later. I'm able to more think uh, a bigger picture, which I personally prefer, uh, and say, okay, how do I get to know this student and what they're trying to do? So what resources can I point them to? You know, not even that I have. If we don't have them, then we can find a way to acquire them. As the case where I had a student the other day come to me asking for a specific book about World War One because he was really interested in it. Mm -hmm. And I had to sit down with the student and sign him up for a township library card so I could get him ebooks. And he was saying he really doesn't like ebooks, but he'll give this a try. But it was something to help push the student to what he already loved. And he had no interest in, he was not doing any of his classes, he just really wanted to study. <laughs> Uh, and that's great because he can use that for so many other areas. And he was engaged with his own personal passion and finding that in the classroom. So not just making your stuff interesting, because to me, you know, supply chain is the most interesting thing in the world. That's what I study. That's what I love. How do I take something that, in all honesty, is quite dull uh, for anyone who's not interested in supply chain, but how do I get my students interested in that? And as part of my business teaching, when I was teaching business classes, I had to get students interested in things like that. And it was really fun to find out what they love and then how to turn that, to use their interests, use their interests against them to <laughs> envelop them and empower them and to engage them in the subject matter at hand, how I could flip that around to them. Uh, it, was, it was something really interesting. And I think that with any subject, you know, we are the, the experts, but the challenge is turning the students into experts with us instead of standing up front, being, uh, being on stage and being this sage that knows all this stuff, to, to standing beside them and guiding them along their path. And even when you know, I had 35 kids in a class, mm -hmm. it was a challenge, but it was, it was something that had to be done to get those students where they need to go, um, which, again, competing things change how you get them there, but it doesn't change the fact that you can engage them the more you know them. Sure. So, so let's say I'm a student in your business class, um, and I'm just happen to really be into skateboarding, and you're trying to, you're trying to teach me supply and demand. Like, how would you try to make that connection, or how do you take that student where you know a particular interest that they might have, and you're trying to connect it to content, or you're trying to connect them to an experience that would help them, you know, sort of propel them into that place where. Yeah, so I think I would want to. I would work with that student about knowing, you know, what about skateboarding they love. Like, there's there, there's always something about that that hooks them, and then we can turn that into okay. So you love, you know, you love the the skateboarding part, but let's talk about your deck. Let's talk about your trucks. Let's talk about your wheels. There's better things for certain tricks, right? There's better decks. You want them prepared a different way, or uh, you need to have newer wheels for some tricks. You need to, your deck is getting messed up. Now we need a new one, and we can talk about why some are more expensive than others and let that student give me all of their background knowledge because they're the expert in skateboarding now and they can tell me why XYZ is more expensive than others and we can talk about okay the process for creating these areas and why this other brand that is sold in some off-market store why is that not as expensive and we can begin looking at that area and I think what happens there is yeah that student is hearing all the skateboarding the other students are seeing your engagement of that student and what they love, and you're gaining that little bit of um, 
street cred from those other students because yep. they're seeing that passion you have for your subject through this other student's lens and they're beginning to develop that faith in you that you can find that hope for them. Uh, and that's, that's you, one, one by one, you, you get the students over the course of the year. And some students you don't have at the beginning of the year, uh, some students you get right away, some students you lose at the end of the year, all you had at the beginning of the year. Um, but sure. that's the process of it, but they have taken away those certain lessons. And I think part of it is also, as a librarian, I'm thinking what, you know, what are these kids going to be, which we don't know, but can they learn how to find the resources to be what they need to be? You sure. know, eventually your, stu your, your, your passions change from skateboarding to you know, being a professional development leader and your passions have changed. <laughs> right. So therefore you have to pursue new areas, but you also are going back to say, hey, I figured this out for skateboarding. I can figure this out for now. Right. Yeah, it all starts with relationships, right? I mean, that's yeah, and, it. And that's what teaching is. We all know <laughs> that, that it's, it's the relationships more than anything else that keep us coming back. Right. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I feel like that's such a key hook in terms of really what this book is pushing for all around, which is if you want to go past engagement strategies to empowering students to own their own learning, there has to be that relationship piece that sort of hinges over it because right. that's what's going to allow you as the instructor to know how you're going to get that individual kid from day one of school, they don't know you, you don't know them, to you know we're all in this together and that is what this chapter is about he's talking about his relationship with the teacher with the back problem yeah it, it there was nothing that teacher did but it was the depth of the relationship that was building and that teacher then saying hey i want to you to take this next class of mine um even speaking to my wife who is an artist her favorite class in college was geology which she took almost a graduate level geology course because the professor kept engaging her uh, okay. because she just really enjoyed it and right. he tried to get her to become a geologist and she's like no I'm an artist and that's what I do okay. uh, but that that engagement kept her going through all that and that's the same right. with our students that when we engage them it doesn't matter what we are teaching if they love you they may stink at the subject but they may want to take it and do the best they can to continue to develop that relationship right, right. Um, so I want to talk just a little bit the 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 chapter starts talking about side projects, um, you know, thinking about the, um, you know, the millennial generation um, and the whole concept, you know, there was, I think it was about like a year ago or so, um, like all over the news um, was the idea of the side hustle and that that's sort of like how the economy for younger people looks. Um, and so I was just wondering, you know, sort of diving into to that a little bit, if maybe you might just tell us a little bit about maybe a side project that you have going on um, and you know how maybe that influences or inspires or connects to your career in some way. Yeah, uh, side projects, uh, I was talking with some older friends of mine uh, who live here in Cheltenham and they were saying they're now on their, uh, they're in their, their 50s and they're now on their second or third house. And I was laughing because my wife and I are now on our third house and uh, I just turned 38. Okay. And it was laughing like, you've already owned three houses. So as such, I've kind of, we've had to redevelop the lights houses and do stuff in them. So my side project is becoming very much just renovation and doing new things in the house. And every house we get, and as you know, in the house, you're always, you're never done with the house. <laughs> um, so I've had to learn lots of, of, of carpentry and I have benefit of having a father and uh, a father-in-law who are contractors so I can hit them for resources and 
Uh, my old uh, electronics teacher from high school would be proud that I am rewi I've rewired most of the house just from the stuff I've learned in that class. Um, so my side projects are, are home re renovation, home remodeling, okay. mm -hmm. and uh, all the different stuff. And currently right now we're trying to figure out how to build a playhouse for my five-year-old in our backyard. So I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there at lunch and I'm sketching out plans for what it should look like and, and how I will create a roof and, and how deep does things – it's things that I don't know. I'm, I'm, a, I, I'm a business teacher pretending to be a librarian. Uh, <laughs> and I'm now learning – you know, cutting uh, the, the angles and how to attach uh, my, one of the projects I had to work on was uh, masonry. I had to build a stone patio in my previous house because we just didn't like how the backyard was. So I had mm -hmm. to learn we were going to pay someone to do it and then the water heater stopped working. And that's something I can't do. So, you know, I had to, okay, right. I, can, I can sweat, I can bleed, I can blow out a knee while doing it. Um, and that side project is there. And, and you yeah, know, that's been, uh, for a while, my side project was being a blogger. Uh, I had to, I felt I was a really poor writer. And I knew I would get better by writing a lot, so I started blogging. Uh, and then I, you know, I had to take my blog down because the teacher having a public beer blog wasn't what North Carolina liked. <laughs> so I had to take that down and read it all on my website. Um, so a little web developing, again, something that I've loved and had to teach and, and film. Uh, for a while, uh, a friend of mine, uh, we were wedding filmers. Uh, we were working in well, wedding photography, or okay. however you say it. Mm -hmm. Just these things that I've had to learn that I became real passionate about and would pass on to my students as best I could. Um, and it's just, I, I actually feel like my side hustle is, is being a librarian. Uh, <laughs> and I feel like this is my side hustle okay. um, that I'm real passionate about, that I pursue a lot. <laughs> and then all the other stuff I do, you know, is kind of my main job. Uh, being an ultimate frisbee coach, uh, the things that start as your side hustle change a lot. Yeah. There's so many different focuses we have. Uh, when I was teaching classes, I taught five different business classes. So I couldn't focus on any one. It was learning all this other stuff and constantly trying to push that passion onto my students. Wow. And, and how do you, th just thinking about, you know, I think everybody kind of has their own side hustle story, whatever it might be. Um, you know, what role does that play in an educational context, knowing that we're working with kids um, and that they have their own version of side hustle um, and maybe even like specifically how sort of the library might even play a role in that. Yeah, every one of our students has a side hustle as well. They're, you know, we, we like to see them when they're in our classes. This is, you know, this is my student for this time and this is the most important thing I can possibly be doing. But then they'll have four, five, six other classes all feeling the exact same thing. So our students really are spread very thin with all of their side hustles. Plus our older students will have jobs and sports. and They have nothing but side hustles at this point in their life, <laughs> right. if we whenever they think about it. And the library, the, the, the center there, I'm hoping to build a resource that can help tie all of their side hustles together to locate the passion that drives them. You know, some of our students, the passion that drives them is going to be their math class or their science class or their English class and everything else to them is a side hustle. You know, taking that, you know, comparative literature class is their job and everything else is their side hustle. But they can apply every single one of those skills they're learning in that comparative literature class to their other classes, right? They don't necessarily the content but there's so much more in the content they're learning in every given class. And as a librarian, I get to help them focus on the skills to mine that content, to search that content, to make the connections between other classes, the more holistic approach to that whole student. Um, and that's how I see the library working, a spot where the faculty, the teachers can come in as well 
And we work with a lot with the homework club as well, where people sign up for homework club, and that may not necessarily be that teacher's specialty, but they're, they're gonna help a little bit there as well. Uh, and they're gonna connect dots for students. So that's the big area of that, of that student center, that library is connecting dots and making those connections that they're owning their education now. They are saying, okay, these are all my little parts and now this is mine and this is where I'm gonna go from here. Okay, um, interesting and, and, a, and a beautiful segue for the last question I have, which was, and this is again coming out of the book, but I'm asking you, um, what does that phrase, student ownership of learning, what does that mean to you? In your position, from your lens, I think, because I, I, I almost want to ask this question to everybody who I have on the podcast this year, because it, it's like the central question of the whole book, right? Like, yeah. And I think every teacher would have their own answer. They're going to view it a little bit differently. Um, so, so that's my preface to again ask you, from your position, from your lens, what does student ownership of learning mean to you? So I tell students all the time, the first day in my classroom, that the most important thing they can learn in high school is how they learn, and how they acquire information, how they process information, how it becomes theirs. So I think student ownership of learning is, is part of that, is part of deciding and through trial and failure, through lots and lots and lots of failure, and through lots and lots of small successes and big successes, how do I acquire new knowledge that I need? Uh, that I need to grow, that I need to get better. Uh, and that's I think a, that's student, a really interesting perspective. Because yeah. what you're really saying is their ownership of their learning is their ownership of their process of learning. That's exactly Which it. is really... It is. It's their process. That's how they own their learning. They own their learning from knowing their process. Um, and it, it could look very, very different for two people. It could look the same or really similar, but everyone has their own little process for it. Um, and once students can really figure that out, what is their process for? They can apply it to any single class, right? And while we may be teaching them math and science and, and, and all this stuff, we're teaching them problem solving. We're teaching them ability to solve whatever problems in front of them. And that's what every single course is really teaching. Yes, content, and especially content, but also problem solving because they're going to need problem solving. They may not need everything they learn, K through 12, K through, you know, whatever they go to. <laughs> And we've all taken graduate courses, and I'm like, I don't need this, but I need this. Uh, but we are applying that process for learning. And once they can really hone that, uh, then they become a very powerful learner, and they can then adapt to whatever comes next. Um, I like to think of my brother in this case. He studied philosophy. He originally was an architect. He studied philosophy. Now he works um, somewhere in the blockchain and cybersecurity because he just kept readapting himself. Once he learned how he learned, and he could own his own process, okay. he just kept learning new stuff because it interests him. And uh, I also like to tell students, learn whatever you, learn what you love and then figure out how to get someone to pay you for it. Um, and, and it doesn't matter any other way. Yeah. Well, that seems like a great place to wrap things up. All right. Um, sure. Tom, thanks for being here. Um, appreciate hearing your perspective on things. And um, we uh, hope to have you back. And, and maybe explore a later chapter. That's great. Uh, I would love to. And, and uh, I'm planning to really start offering some after-school sessions for teachers to play with some of the tools we have as well and to cool. show them, hey, this is what we have and this is how you can use it and just stop in and ask me questions in 144, 146. Okay. Uh, I really want to help make every class a little bit better. All right. Great. Wonderful. Um, yeah, if you're at the high school, stop by, talk to Tom, see what kind of resource he might be able to play for you in your classroom. And with that, um, thanks, and uh, uh, see everybody next time.